We're here. Uh, open to Luke. You know, I had told everybody to read through chapters 1 through 3, and I thought we might walk through those tonight. Uh, Billy did a, he did a pretty good job of doing that last week. Uh, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, this might be uh, repetitious a little bit. So there's going to be a little bit of, of a different, I'm going to do a little something different tonight. Um, we will get into Luke 1 through 3. But tonight's going to be uh, less about combing through these chapters. Um, you know, I, <laughs> in preparation for, you know, I'm going to be speaking on Luke for eight weeks. And so I went and I was finding all these resources and I was getting all these books together and reading all kinds of stuff. And it was like the more that I read, the less I knew what I was going to even talk about. And here's one thing that I discovered for sure, is that I am not worthy to untie Jesus' sandal. He is coming. And he is the one to whom this book points. He is the, whom, he is the one to whom all of Scripture points. And who are we? <laughs> so there you go. That's, that's the sermon. Uh, and I'm not worthy, okay? Nobody, none of us is worthy. Um, but we have this book, and it's a precious gift to us. Okay? It's a precious gift to us. So what I want to do tonight is not really an intro, but a we're, I want to posture ourselves. I want to set the posture uh, for us as we go into this study of Luke. Okay, so that's primarily what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll do some teaching, but mainly I want to do some preaching. <laughs> this is all my nuts. So there's going to be some preaching tonight. When there's a lot of pages, there's a lot of teaching. When there's one page, it's, it's preaching. Amen? So open up your hearts. So in, in many ways, this opening section, chapters 1 through 3, and in any, in any old book like this, if you've read Homer, it's the same way. Everything that's in the book as a whole is in the opening sections in little seeds. Okay? All of the major themes are here. Okay? So we're going to look at some of those. But here's, we're talking about posture. Okay? Everybody sit up straight. <laughs> Go to Acts 18. Remember, this is the same author, same story. The physician Luke. All right, good. I was starting slow because my wife says, I always miss like the introduction to the sermon because all the moms are down. So they've all come back. All right, we're good to go. You didn't miss anything important. So Acts 18, start in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though... He only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I go down to chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. We make a lot of, you know, there's a distinction between just a, a, the crowd or just a believer and a disciple. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. We have two instances here. In Luke's story, Luke's narrative, where there was a, an incomplete, though sincere, an incomplete understanding of the way, of the gospel. And I want to suggest that this is one of the primary reasons, if not the primary reason, Luke wrote this book. He says it right here in his introduction. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for, time, from, uh, for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, a major theme, and we'll look at this here in a little bit, a major theme of Paul's book is the Holy Spirit. If you want to learn about the Holy Spirit, you go to Luke and Acts. Also, all the other Gospels uh, have it a little <laughs> But the Holy Spirit in the church, in the people of God, our relationship to the Holy Spirit, we owe Luke a debt of gratitude for that. This was one of the reasons he wrote the, the, his Gospel. So why did I start with that story? This might be getting low on battery, I think. Isn't that the noise that it makes? Yeah. We'll keep, we'll keep it going here for now. There's some back here, I think. I don't know if there's any up there. So why did I start with that story in Acts? There's two two instances. In this season, in this time in our church, you know, Scripture, the New Testament especially, talks about two different kinds of time. You know this? There's chronos, and that is the sequence of events. Chronology, right? A chronograph. And then there's another kind of time called kairos. And that is a window of opportunity. Okay, and Jesus came in the fullness of time. He was tempted, and, this, and then Satan left him until an opportune time. Okay? I believe we're, we're in a moment here in our church, a window of opportunity. And there are some And there are some needs, not deficiencies, not insincerity, but we have disciples. We're a church of disciples. We're acquainted with the scriptures. We know a lot of stuff about Jesus. I think there's some things in this book. My dad would get on me for saying that. I don't think. There are some things in this book that we need to hear. And so that's, that's the main thing that I want to say tonight. There are some things in this book that we right now, you right now, need to hear. Some things about the way that the Holy Spirit, through these scriptures, wants to take you aside and teach you more accurately. A dispensation of the Holy Spirit that once you receive it, you will begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. There is a, a life to be lived. There are things to be done that you haven't done yet. 
You haven't entered into yet. I'm not just talking about showing the charismatic signs, okay? I'm talking about living the life of Jesus, doing the things that we see in this book that we've been reading, okay? So, back to this intro. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. You are, in the, you are a part of that us. You are a part of that us. These things have been accomplished among you. You are a part of the body of Christ. Not only that, do you know what Theophilus means? Loved by God. Friend of God. And there's no shortage, obviously, of commentary on who is Theophilus, what, what was he, what was his role in, in, in Luke's life. But I love this from one of the church fathers, Ambrose. And he says, So the gospel was written to Theophilus, i.e. to him whom God loves. If you love God, it was written to you. If it was written to you, do the duty of an evangelist. Diligently preserve the pledge of a friend in the secrets of the Spirit. Frequently consider and often discuss the good things committed to your trust by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Let me read that again. Diligently preserve the pledge of a friend in the secrets of the Spirit. Frequently consider and often discuss the good things committed to your trust by the Holy Spirit. You have been given the gospel of Luke, beloved by God. And you will give an account to God for how you, how you handled it, how you stewarded this book. And if you get to heaven, you say, you know, I just never really felt, I was just dry. What did you do with the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts? You know, I never really overcame sin. There was this thing that just plagued me my whole life. I never really learned how to be a good father or a good mother. I never really learned how to obey my mom or dad. But, you know, Jesus loves me and that's what we know. What did you do with the book of Acts? What did you do with the Gospel of Luke? It was written to you. It was given to you beloved by God, so that you could be like Jesus, so that you could know more accurately. And that, that means not just know, that means, so the word is, is, is like the doors are locked, it's secure, the defenses will hold, so that you may know who Jesus is, so that his life would be in you and would never depart so that you would live as Christ in this world. Amen? So it's been, it's been clear in my own spirit and in just in conversation with Billy that, that God has some things for us in this time to hear. Okay, so this is going to be a time for the Holy Spirit to minister this word to us. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. Okay? Can we receive this book? Not to learn something new, or to get excited, or, or whatever, but to finally know something for certain that maybe we've known for a long time or have heard for a long time, but now we can, can live it. And it's in our lives, never to depart. Amen? So this is, this is a, I think, a time of victory, a time of real salvation. Not to get saved, but to live in salvation. Okay? For us as a church. Okay, so some, some themes that we hear in, the, in these first three chapters that we'll, we'll hear through the whole, uh, not just Luke, but Luke and Acts. And I started with salvation. Salvation. Okay, you read, you read chapter 1 through 3. Um, think about where this theme pops up in those chapters. Salvation. Um, where am I? Luke, the Gospel of Luke. 
Mary, in Mary's song, God comes to her, or Gabriel comes to her and announces that she will have a child. And she, uh, she says, yes, be it unto me, according to your word. She goes to see Elizabeth and the, this song that, that just erupts. By the way, these songs, I wish I could worship like this. Do you know who worships like this? Someone who's full of the word of God. When someone who's full of the word of God is touched by the Holy Spirit, this is what comes out. Just a little side note on worship. Okay. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Savior. And and I think more than any key term in Luke, Savior is his way of saying the Messiah, the Christ, the one, the Savior. Okay? At the end of her song, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Zechariah's song, which, by the way, he says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is verse 67 of chapter 1. For he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies. By the way, Savior, saved, salvation, delivered, this is all the same thing. So keep your eyes open for those. Okay? Verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Simeon, he says uh, in chapter 2, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Salvation. Now what is salvation? Well, in order to be saved, you have, there, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with you. We are, we are saved from something. So maybe you need to understand, what, what am I saved from? Okay, salvation, and you know this if you've been through foundations with, with Chad. Salvation is not just a, a, a little switch that gets flipped. Your eternal destination switches from hell to heaven. Saved. Whoop. That's not, that's not what Jesus came to do. What we see in the scripture is, the, is, whoa, the purpose of God from the beginning of time Till now is beginning to culminate. Salvation is coming. A change in status from my internal destination? No. The life that God has always intended us for, to live is now coming. We were astray. We were gone. We were in the muck, in the mire. We were enslaved to our sins. The Deliverer has come to free us from the enemy that is more powerful than we are. The enemy that we cannot escape on our own. He has come to overcome and to defeat that sin, to defeat that thing, the enemy, deliverance. So that now we can live the life that we were created to live. That's what salvation is. You are living in a way that causes death to you and to everyone around you. You are saved so that you can live in a way that brings life to you but life to everyone around you as well. That's what being saved means. Okay. Salvation means becoming realigned with the purpose, speaking of posture, <laughs> realigned with the purpose that God always intended for mankind. Okay, so watch out for salvation. Now Jesus comes and he does this. Salvation is not just a spiritual thing. Jesus comes... And he saves people from leprosy, from physical ailments, from lifelong 
battles with disease. He saves people from social structures that have been set up to exploit them. Salvation. Okay, do we need this kind of salvation in our lives and in our society? He comes to save people from the religious institutions that want to hold them down and keep them in place under the law. He comes to save people from the Roman (laughs) oppression, the false peace that's being set up. It's really just suppression of people, peace, it's tyranny, deliverance, salvation. All right, the second big theme, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's too many places to mention in these first three chapters where the Holy Spirit, the first one. Well, where is the first one? It says that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary, overshadow her, and cause her to, to, to conceive the Messiah, Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires these, these proclamations of worship. So the Holy Spirit is here. It's always been around. But now the Holy Spirit is, is pressing into the earth and causing Jesus to come into the earth. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Number three, prayer. And you can really link those two, Holy Spirit and prayer. Prayer in the Holy Spirit. Luke emphasizes, you know, the parts of Luke that are that are distinctly his, that aren't just, you know, verbatim from Mark or, or also occur in Matthew. He throws in little details here and there that have to do with Jesus' prayer life. There are some parables about prayer that occur only in Luke. Luke is the only gospel where when Jesus is baptized, this is after he came out of the water and he was praying, the Holy Spirit fell upon him. Luke makes it clear that now Jesus went out and prayed all night and then came and chose his disciples. Okay? Prayer. Zechariah, right here in the beginning, he is going to pray on behalf of the people. Now, this is really interesting to me and something that I was, I was chewing on all week. In chapter 1, verse 12, well, you can start at verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. This was the evening prayer. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, which we know from Revelation that the, the incense is the... Prayers of the saints. And it was it's wafting into the Holy of Holies. And here comes Gabriel, <laughs> apparently straight out of the Holy of Holies. Whoa! And there he is on the right side. And, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now, was he in there praying for a son? He could have, but what, what's, what's going on here is, Zechariah, I see the prayer of your heart, and it's to have a son. But you know what? That's the prayer of all of the remnant of it, the faithful remnant of Israel. They're crying out for a son. This is the low point. This is a low point. Okay, this should remind us of Samuel. When every kid, you know, there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and here comes. Uh, Samuel, to the, there's, there's no hope for Israel. There's no central sense of the presence of God. Zechariah is crying out for a son, but God says yes. But it's the cry of, remember, all of the people, 
are around the outside praying at the hour of incense. Faithful Israel wants a son. They need the Messiah. They're crying out for it. And so the prayer has been answered. Um, Simeon and Anna, what beautiful expressions of devotion, fervent prayer, persistence in waiting on God. But the consistent theme is that prayer is a channel. Prayer opens up a channel through which the Holy Spirit can cause the life of Jesus to come into the earth. (laughs) Are you praying? (laughs) Are you in the Word? Are you opening up a channel for Jesus Christ to come into the earth? (laughs) You see that? We want Jesus to come. We want the life of Jesus to be made manifest. Are you doing your prayer? Read Luke and understand prayer. Understand what it does. Understand what happens as a result of fervent, righteous prayer. And then go wrestle with your, with your devotional life. Open up a channel from, directly from heaven into the earth. The life of Jesus, the very life of Jesus by the Holy Spirit can come flooding in. Miracles can happen because of prayer. Some of you need to hear that. You don't really think prayer is all that. Why don't we going to pray? Just sit, sit by myself and do what? It's kind of weird. We need to pray. All right. Billy mentioned you know a few of these last week. The, the poor and the outcast. They're right here in the in the first three chapters. Who who gets the who gets the sneak peek of the uh, of the nativity, the the gospel thirty years before uh, it actually begins to be proclaimed? The shepherds. <laughs> Why? Why the shepherds? God wants those people to know. Hey guys, it's about to come to all people. Now listen to this. Go to go to chapter two. Let's look at that. You know, there's a lot of gospel presentations, and if you're in the evangelism class, you know this, there's a lot of gospel presentations and acts that serve sort of as paradigms for us. Well, here's a great one. Luke chapter 2, verse 10, or start in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now get Linus and his blanket out of your head. Okay, just clear that out. Lights, please. (laughs) And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you the gospel. It's a great joy. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, here he is again, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Son, Savior, Messiah, Lord. That's a pretty good gospel. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Suffering servant. Humility. You see that? All the gospel's right there. It's there. And the angels don't really know. I don't think I don't know if the, if the angels really know how it's all going to turn out. Right? They they were waiting, expecting. They, they they're not quite sure. But what they do know is that, well, he's been born as a baby and he's laying in some swaddling clothes in a manger. <laughs> and he's the savior. And we know where he came from, and we're not quite sure what's next. But listen, there's good news. Now he's in the earth. You see that? And the multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So he, he went to the poor and the outcast. Um, you could say Anna. She's a widow. 
She's she's weak. She's frail. And there she is. And she gets a glimpse of the Messiah. And so all through the book, Jesus is continually uh, and intentionally exposing himself to all sorts of uh, riffraff and ceremonially unclean situations uh, to show that, listen, (laughs) the gospel was never, that salvation never meant bottle you up and seal you off from bad stuff. We are here to get in and, and touch that so that we displace disease, we displace brokenness and sin with the very life of Jesus. Right? We're not saved out of, away from those people. We are agents of salvation to those people. Amen? And this is what Jesus is saying. Number five, women. And Billy mentioned this last week. You couldn't have Luke 1 through 3 without some pretty awesome women. Elizabeth, and by the way, all these names are meaningful. Zechariah, do you remember what that means when we studied Zechariah? God has remembered. Elizabeth, you know what that means? God is my oath. John, God is gracious. Jesus, God saves, right? He's a savior, okay? But listen, talk about this moment that we're in. Could there be any topic more relevant to the cultural climate today than than the way women are treated? I mean, you you, you want to start a... (laughs) You want to start an argument, just go and start debating anything having to do with women. (laughs) Just go to UK, walk into any class and say, hey, let's talk about uh, women. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, first of all, if you're a man, immediately. We need the truth of this book. We don't need... Now, this is risky. We don't need the backwoods view of what a woman should be. We need Jesus' view. We need the Bible's view. We don't need the 1950s view of what an American woman should be. We need the scriptural view of what a woman should be. Does that make sense? A lot of times the church tries to come at these worldly arguments with equally worldly ways of being a woman. We need to let this scripture challenge us. Women and men. We need to let this scripture speak to us and shape our understanding of what it means to be a woman what it mean, and what it means to walk with a woman in the life of the kingdom, the ministry of the kingdom. Amen? And then finally, uh, and Billy sent out an email about this, suffering. Okay, Luke is constantly deriving uh, themes from Isaiah. Okay, and the predominant, at the end of Luke, Jesus says, and he, he kind of gets he kind of gets annoyed. He says, yeah, don't you understand that, that the Christ is to suffer? If you read your Bible, you would understand that the Christ would suffer. And he's, he's largely talking about this, this picture that we have of him in Isaiah. And in fact, um, the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved by reading Isaiah. Okay, And in Isaiah, the picture that we have of the Messiah is he is the anointed of God to come down and, and serve and to, to lay down his life and to suffer for the people of God. And that through that suffering will bring salvation. All right? You could also say humility. Okay, it's not just the suffering of Jesus, it's it's the humility that allows people into this life of salvation. 
right? You see people, and a leper came and fell on his face before Jesus. And Jesus says, whoa, your faith has made you well. That's what I'm looking for. That's what these religious elite don't realize, that before God you fall on your face. And if you're a Gentile and you go and fall on your face to God, you are a child of Abraham. Right? God is looking for the humble because that's who he is. And that's, that's what glorifies him. All right. So, there we are. We're headed into Luke. We know kind of some of the themes, but I don't want you to just know these themes because they're in the books that we read and they say that they're the, you know, what to watch for in Luke and Acts. These are the themes because God has given us this book for this time to shape us, to shape our lives. And I, I'm looking through this list and it's like, yes, this is where we are. This is what we need. We need to understand what it really means to be saved. We need to understand how to live a life by the Holy Spirit, what all that entails. We need to pray. We need to, to be people of deep prayer. We need to understand, first of all, that, that we are poor and that Christ came to us <laughs> and that he sends us to the poor. And we've got to define that. right? There's a biblical definition of poor and there's an American definition of poor. And we'll get into that a little bit more uh, probably next week. Women, whoa, does the world need a community where womanhood is allowed to be the kind of womanhood that God intended it for, for it to be and is esteemed as such and is embraced as such. And suffering, humility, the cross, we've got to learn that <laughs> we are in a luxurious resort of a country, uh, of a house. And we, need, we, we do not understand what it means uh, to suffer. Okay. So the, my, the application and kind of the challenge for tonight, but also just moving through all this, is uh, to get back to the basics, but to know them for certain. To come to that place where, like Theophilus, and like Apollos, further on in Acts, we're skilled. We've got it. It's it's. We've been, we've been hearing it. We've been teaching it. But there's never a time when God can't come and explain the way a little more clearly to us. We're walking a little more power, a little more, more uh, presence of his Holy Spirit. Okay, so we need to let that uh, work in our lives. And so here's some things you might consider for your own life. Are you really saved? <laughs> Are you saved? Have you repented of your sin? I know who I'm talking to. Okay, I'm, I'm not giving a gospel presentation to those who've never heard it. I'm talking to Theophilus, loved by God, because there's some things that we can know more certainly. Okay, you might need to hear that challenge of John. Repent. God is able to raise up from these stones, children of Abraham. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't rest on your community. You bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What does your life look like? Does it look like someone who's met God, fallen on their face and repented of sin? Or does it look like someone who's heard of this cool thing going on in the wilderness and i got to go check that out. That sounds pretty sweet. <laughs> he says, you brood of vipers. 
What are you doing? What do you think you're coming out here for? You need to get on your face before God. All right. So this can happen. Maybe you need to confess some sin. Confession of sin. I've been chewing on this for a while. I was listening to, uh, uh, I forget who it was. It might have been Leonard Ravenhill or, or someone. And he said, uh, you know, I've been around revivals a lot. And I've been involved in a lot of moves of God. And I'll tell you the one thing that's been common through all of it. The revival starts when people confess their sin. And revival stops when people stop confessing their sin. <laughs> he said it's, it's very simple. Every revival I can be, I've ever been a part of started with someone confessing sin and it just opened a dam of people coming to the altar, coming to, to really be saved. Religious, non-religious, whatever. Someone confessed their sin, admitted their need for God, and <sighs> revival came. So is there sin in your life? Is there anything that is not the fruit of repentance? Let's turn from that. So salvation. Let's see, what's the next five? Faith. Faith. I think here of, of Zechariah's unbelief, which was really Israel's unbelief the whole time through all the Old Testament history. Hey, uh, your wife, she's barren, but she's going to have a son, even though you're old. Hmm, would that sound familiar to, to a Jew? <laughs> Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, had a child. You, you, if you are a Jew, you exist because God brought forth a child through a barren womb. <laughs> and he says... How am I to know this? And so he's struck mute. All right. So you, you're going to have to actually see it, aren't you? All right. Well, then you're not going to say another word until you see the fulfillment of that promise. Maybe you need to hear that challenge. You know what God's capable of. You've heard it your whole life. Do you believe it? When God says, I can handle that. I can take that sin away. I can give you the ability and capacity to love that person faithfully. You can share the gospel with that person. How am I to know this? <laughs> maybe you're struck dumb. You know, maybe, maybe your mouth has shut. And you're unable to speak the word of God because there's something in you that just doesn't believe that God can do what he says he can do. And I want to call you back to the basics. That's faith. Faith. What's next? Prayer. <laughs> the word. Worship. You see the theme here? Foundations but known for a certainty. Prayer. Do we, really, do we really approach prayer like the incredible gift and powerful tool that it is? We get to relate to with and communicate with the creator of the universe. <laughs> Just think about the absurdity of struggling to be consistent in prayer. Now, I'm talking to myself. I know who I'm talking to. And this is intimidating. I'm seeing some of you that have walked with the Lord for like twice as long as I've been alive. But we always need this. And we will always need this. And I will always need this till the day I die. Worship. Maybe God wants to set you free in worship so that you can begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that from your mouth, in worship, will come declarations of the purpose of God. What He's up to right now. And what we ought to do. 
what he's about to do. Rooted in the scripture, rooted in an understanding of his purposes, rooted in the vision that we know, the Holy Spirit will come and you'll begin to prophesy. Open yourself up to that. This is what the people of God do. Amen? Devotion. You know, let me, let me just read this. And this, I'm going to end with this. First of all, John, it says, it says he will, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That's a, a vow. It's like the Nazarite vow. It's a, it's a special act of separation. Okay? I'm going above and beyond what the law would say. You can do that, and you can fast from food. You can fast from entertainment. But also, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Push all that out and be filled with with the Holy Spirit. God's going to use people who separate themselves from the world and fill themselves with the Spirit. Be filled by the Holy Spirit. So devotion, and all you're figuring out how to cut certain things off from your life, we're not just cutting things off from our life. We're opening up places where the Holy Spirit can come in. Further on in Luke, he tells about when a demon leaves someone, it goes all you know, it goes all over the place, and it comes back, and hey, this place is swept clean. There's nothing in here. Bring seven more. We need to get all this stuff out of our lives, and then fill it with all the things of the Holy Spirit. So devotion, that extra push to go above and beyond, to be desperate, to cry out, to be in anguish. For God, to be out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey so that the purposes of God could come forth through your life. Simeon, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Would you do that for 84 years if you could see Jesus at the end of it? Coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So devotion. Maybe you need to see these acts of devotion, but also just the sense, like the disciples in the upper room, that we're waiting on God. Something is going to happen, and it's going to happen as we pray and wait and separate ourselves and fast and pray. We're waiting do you have that sense of expectation in your life? Expectant waiting. And I think we need to, to let this book speak to us in that way as well. So you need to examine your life. There's a, there's a lot of things you could examine. and let the Holy Spirit sort it out. <laughs> and you can talk it over with people that know you more closely. But there's something for you. There's something for you to allow this book to get into your life, to do some surgery, to... to to align something that's off, to bring victory where there's just been defeat over and over and over, to bring hope where there's no hope. Um, so I want to call us to that. So we're going to go through this book. And by the way, you can read um, probably not going to get to all of it, but read four through uh, nine, four through nine. Uh, chapters 4 through 9 for next week. I'll send it out in an email. We're going to read this book. Be, keep your eyes open for these things, but do it in with the posture of, I need to know something now. There's something in these eight weeks 
or 12 <laughs> that needs to shape me, that's going to change my life, that's going to come over me so that the life of Jesus can come out of my life in a way that it hasn't before. That, it, that, it, that will happen if you allow this scripture to do what, what it, it was intended to do. It will happen. It's up to you to allow it to happen. Okay? It is up to you to have the posture and, and the receptive heart, like Mary, be it done to me according to your word. Can we approach this book like that? So that's my challenge, and that's the, that's the second introduction <laughs> to the book of Luke. And we'll get into the book uh, more next week. So um, we should close with some worship. Hello. There's nothing special about coming to the altar, um, right? I mean, we want to make sure that this is, we don't just try and fill ourselves up and make ourselves feel good. Well, I just go to the altar and do my thing every week. But it is a, is a symbolic thing. And the Holy Spirit's here. And the word has gone out. The challenge has gone out. Maybe the sword needs to come and pierce your heart also. So I want to. If you want to come up and pray, uh, that's great. If you want to grab someone and pray, it'd be awesome. If you had to grab someone, well, it wouldn't be awesome if you had to confess sin. But it would be great if you did. If you have sin in your life, maybe it's the sin of of jealousy. Maybe it's the sin of uh, apathy toward the Word of God, toward prayer, toward life in the body. Whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit reveals, get it out so that the freedom of the Holy Spirit can come and transform you. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for this word. Uh, thank you that it's, it is living and active. And Lord, I pray that you would come in these days uh, by the Holy Spirit, that you would come like John, uh, voice, uh, the voice in the wilderness. In our hearts, Lord, that you would that, that there would be a cry that goes out, that it would demand our attention, God. That if there's anything that that is between us and you, Lord, that you would come and, and you would point that out, Lord, and you would denounce it in our lives, and that you give us the grace to turn towards you and to receive uh, the life that comes forth from your presence. Lord, take us forward in these days. Bring us closer to you. Make us devout, Lord. Put a cry in our hearts in, in, in anticipation for the move of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, for his glory. Hallelujah.